This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to say that I'm joined on Football CFB by a true legend of the Premier League. As we speak, he's in the top 10 all-time Premier League goal scorers. Um, played at QPR, played at Newcastle on the entertainers team, an icon mm. at Spurs. And uh, according to many, he's called Sir Les. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Les Ferdinand. Les, thank you so much for joining me. Good evening and um, it's, it's nice to be here and uh, it's good to join you. The first thing I want to talk to you about, Les, is your current role at QPR. You're the mm-hmm. director of football at the club. Um, we hear about that role a lot in football. Um, what's the role like on a daily basis for you, and what would you say the main challenges are? I think it's um, it, it's it's. I've been on this talent ID course, and I was on it uh, probably finished uh, back in the last year, and uh, there was twelve. Uh, Technical directors, sporting directors, directors of football, whatever, whatever label you want to want to put them in. And what I realised was, at um, all the different clubs, it meant different things. Um, so some were heavily based on recruitment. Um, some were based on the actual running of the football club, um, the day-to-day running of the football club, and um, others, you know, they just had different roles in, in, involved in it. And um, my 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 involvement at, uh, at QPR. Kind of like touches on all sort, all, all all the aspects of the football club. So when I got to the football club, yeah, okay, recruitment was part of it. So I got the right, tried to put the right people in place to make sure the re- recruitment part department was running uh, smoothly and properly. Um, changed the medical department. We had to change the medical department, sports science. Um, there was always there's all the various aspects of the football club that um, we had to get right into, and, and as well, you know, had to learn about doing contracts and uh, and that sort of stuff as well. So there's there's a um, it's a it's a it's a big role, um, and it's one that I think a lot of managers enjoy nowadays, and it takes the pressure away from them in terms of recruitment. Um, and the way I work is I don't I don't pick the I don't pick the players for the manager. Um, the manager says, look, we've got. Uh, X amount of money to spend on X amount in, in, on a certain position, and then what we do, we we put our heads together and we come up with you know, three or four names in each position that that's affordable to us, and then we give the the details to the manager. Um, our scouts would have done run the rule over those players, um, and and gave, given him our opinion, and then it's up to him and his his coaching staff to look at the players that we've um, identified as uh, the, the the position that he wants, and then he makes a decision on who he feels is the right right person. In terms of um, your playing career, one of the things that intrigues me about yourself and the likes of Ian Wright and others as well is the fact that you had a non-league start. Um, Hayes were a club that were very important in your career. Just how important is non-league football and what was it like for you? Because you scored goals there and, and a standard of football in non-league that can be fierce at times. Yeah, um, you know, I went into non-league football at, uh, uh, you know, I was still at school, so I was sort of like 14, 15 when I started playing sort of like semi-professional football. Um, and sort of like made my way for a youth team at Southall first of, first of all um, until I was I was playing in the first team so at 16 17 I was I was playing men's football um, getting kicked about week in week out and, and thoroughly enjoying it so um yeah that uh, it, it was a really good education for me in terms of you know playing men's football being being prepared for um, what I call real life football uh, you know, week in, week out, I was playing, I was playing against 30, 35-year-olds, 28-year-olds, you know, I was playing against men and I was I was 16, 17. And it, it, bode, me, it bode me in good stead for, for when I actually signed for QPR at 19. And in terms of signing for QPR, how were you spotted and how did it feel for you to be spotted by a club who were in the first division, which, of course, was the Premier League of its era? Yeah, it was... Um, you know, through my, 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 my days in non-league football when I was at Southall and I did pretty well in the youth team and and, and then I made it up into the uh, the first team at a young age. You know, people had always spoken to me about pro- professional clubs looking at me and, you know, we, there, there was a young guy at, a, at a, 
at Southall at the time called Roger Joseph, who was a right back and went on to play for Brentford. You know, he got spotted and he, he went to Brentford. Um, and I was like, cool, you know, if that can happen for him, you know, if I keep my head down and keep doing what I'm doing, um, maybe I could get that same opportunity. And so um, I kept my head down, kept doing what I was doing. And the rumours were still going on that, you know, clubs were looking at me. And then I, I, I kind of like I played for Southall in the FA Vars final um, at Wembley. And I thought, wow, this might be the pinnacle of my career. Like, you know what I mean? I'm playing not only football, I, I managed to play at Wembley. Uh, and then for some unknown reason, the, the team disbanded. And um, I was looking for a team and uh, Hayes came along and said, look, we've seen your exploit last, last year. We've lost our centre forward, uh, who went to, I think he went to Wickham at the time. And uh, we were a non-league team at the time. And I, I went to Hayes, took his place. And um, I was only at uh, Hayes for about, seven months before um, QPR came in, in, in Simon. When you, you sign for QPR, what's it like when you go in to train there every day? Does the does the level completely step up from non-league to, to these guys who you've been playing alongside who have been training at that level for many years? Yeah, I was I was in awe of the, the whole situation, you know, coming out of non-league football and looking at sort of like Shoot magazine and, and Match magazine and seeing these guys in the magazines and all of a sudden there's a segment on, on you who signed for QBR and you're like, it's, it, it, it was quite surreal and it took me a little while to, to come to terms with it because I'd seen these guys and known these guys as professional footballers and, and now I'm in a magazine as a, as a professional footballer and that takes some, some sinking in and probably took me, <coughs> excuse me, took me a couple of years to to kind of like get used to the, the the whole regime of going in and this was now my job. You know, I was I was doing painting and decorating. I was driving a van. I'd done all sorts of various different jobs for a living. And all of a sudden, me picking up a pair of boots every day, going into a training ground was my living. So it was it was um it was it was pretty strange. As a striker, scoring goals is, is the is the best thing you can do. For you, what was it like when you scored that first goal in the, in the first division? Because I imagine coming from non-league, that's a sweet moment. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you always dream about it. You know, you always dream about playing in front of a, a big crowd and scoring not just the goal, the winning goal that makes you, gets your team to win the game. And I can't remember playing against uh, uh, Chelsea. At, um, well, that that was my uh, my, my first um, my first home game. Um, one of my first my, my first goals were were against Chelsea. And if I was going to score against anybody, um, Chelsea being a QBR player couldn't have gone any better. You know, I scored two goals on the day and saw like got a man and match man and a match performance and um, and that was me off off and running. You played under some big characters: Jim Smith, Don Howe, mm. Jerry Francis, even the the late great Ray Wilkins, of course, as well. What, what were those guys like for you as, as a player? Um, because obviously the first division then tra uh, transfers over into what we now know as the Premier League. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jim was the person that signed me on. You know, the late Jim Smith was the person that signed me into to, to professional football. So, you know, I, I owed a huge debt to Jim um, to, to taking a chance on this this young man out of a non-league side and, you know, giving me the opportunity to come into football. So I'll always be indebted to that um, situation. Um, but then I, I, I got there and, and, and things were um, taking their time to come to fruition, if you like. Um, and then I got the opportunity to go out to Turkey. And, you know, you mentioned some big characters, but one of the people that had a massive influence on my career was a fellow called Gordon Mill, who was the ex-Liverpool um, fullback um, and was out, was managing out, uh, ex-Leicester manager as well, who was managing out in Turkey at the time. And he was looking for a centre-forward. Jim Smith said to him, look, we've got this young lad who we think's got great potential, but we're not sure whether he's going to realise it or not. I think it, going out to Turkey would do him the world of good. You can have a look at him, see whether he can, he can, he can make the grade. And so he took me out there, took me under his wing, and um, I was able to have a successful year out there and, and came back and just changed my real my, my whole perception of professional football. I think up until then, I, I always cite going out to Turkey as my um, my footballing apprenticeship. In terms of Turkey, you went there at a time when when it was it was unique for for players from mm. England or, or the UK to, to go out to a country like Turkey to play their football. What was it like playing there? Because you see clips even now of the fans, whether it's Galatasaray or Besiktas, where you were, and they are absolutely mad for their football and their club. Yeah, you know, I went, I, I sort of like, um, I went to Turkey only knowing the film uh, Midnight Express, which 
probably is not the best advert you could have for, for, for Turkey. I went out there in 89. I, w I weren't the only, I, I was the first British player to ever play out in Turkey. So it was, it was a big thing. And, you know, the, the Turkish people back then had a real high regard for, for football. Um, you know, football had come from England as far as they was concerned. And, 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 and here was a player coming from sort of like, I was actually coming from reserve football to go out to Turkey. So it was a massive learning curve. And I say, I didn't just grow up as a, as a footballer, but I grew up as a man because I went out there on my own. I was 19 years of age, the first time I probably had to fend for myself in my life and in all aspects of sort of like maturing, um, not just as a player, but as a, as, a, as a young man as well. So it was it was brilliant for me and I just immersed myself in the Turkish way. And um, yeah, as I said, it was a successful year for me. Success in Turkey, back to QPR, the dawn of the Premier League, you're scoring goals, you're getting noticed, there's links to moves um, to clubs like Manchester United and Arsenal, but you choose to stay at QPR and go and score 24 goals in a Premier League season. Just sum up what it's like going into games in the Premier League when you're scoring week in, week out. Do you think as a striker, if I get a chance today, I'm definitely scoring? Yeah, I think you go, you know, most most strikers will say to you, you get you get to a period in your in your career where you know, you, you sit in the changing rooms and, you know, and, and not to sound big-headed, not to sound conceited in any way, shape or form, but you sit there and you think to yourself, and whether you do or not, you just feel like you're going to go and score. You're in that rich vein of form and, you know, it's like, you know, I'm watching Calvert-Lewin at the moment and everything he hits is going in the back of the net and you just have those spells as a striker and he's probably sitting in every changing room he goes to right now, he's probably sitting there thinking to himself, don't matter, I'm going to score today because that's, 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 that's the feeling you get and when you're in that sort of like, Rich Bain and I, I was fortunate. I played in a very good QBR team that created loads of chances for me, and um, uh, you know, a lot of the time was on the end of uh, on the end of them to put them away. The, the speculation and, and the links for moves are there, as I mentioned. Newcastle United come calling, and correct me if I'm wrong with this, but one of my favourite things is you moved to Newcastle United for around six million pounds. Hayes get a percentage of that fee, and are then able to build a function suite and name it the Ferdinand Suite. What a moment that must have been! <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it was quite it was quite surreal and and really strange because I was I was at Southall for about three four years and um and then went to Hayes and I was only at Hayes for like like I said seven months um and they got uh, so they sold me for for, for fifteen thousand then they got another fifteen thousand on me making a debut I think it was so that took it up to thirty thousand but then they got a, a ten percent sell on um a future sell on so you know. QBR sold me for six million. They got six hundred grand, which was, was which was magnificent for them. Um, but probably looking back, Southall should have got a little bit of a percentage of that, but they didn't, you know. And uh, uh, Hayes did, and as you said, they uh, they they named it the Les Ferdinand Street. It got knocked down a few few years later. Ah, oh, that's a shame. I didn't know that part of the story. Um, <laughs> In terms of your time at Newcastle, and the club were obviously known in that era, especially when we look back now as the entertainers. Your first season at the club, 29 goals, and it's obviously famous for the 12 points clear and the battles with Manchester United. What was that season like as a player? Because there were so many roller coaster moments. Yeah, and you know, for, for, for most of that 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 season, the, the roller coaster was on and up. You know, we was on a high, we was on a way up, we was on a way up, and then obviously there was a a big down at the end of it, um, and so you're right. It was um, it was like being on the big, biggest roller coaster in the world because it looked like for a long time um, we were going to run away with it. And um, and I think you know to a man we probably got carried away with that ourselves and thought we were going to run away with it and uh, probably didn't prepare ourselves for when the when the bad bad times came because we were playing that well and we were that confident in each other that we we probably didn't prepare ourselves in the best possible way for, 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 for when the negativity started. In terms of that season, um, obviously Kevin Keegan had his, his famous moment. They've got to go to Middlesbrough and get something and, and all of that sort of stuff. What was he like as a manager? Because as, as much as people might point at that team and say ultimately they didn't win the Premier League, it's still a team that's talked about by neutrals and fans of all clubs has been a team that is one of the best ever sides to play in England. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was, the, the strange thing was I, I, I remember I used, to, I used to come back to London quite a bit and you know, my family stayed in London, so I would, I would come back uh, as much as I loved the North East. Um, I, would, I would come back to the, U, uh, to the UK. I'd come back to London and I always remember on my, on my travels, whether I was coming back or I was, uh, I was coming back to London or going back up to, to, to Newcastle, um, people would stop me in the road and say, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not a Newcastle fan, but when they're on the TV, I watch, I watch because I know there's going to be goals. I know there's going to be a goals. I love the way you guys play football and you're my, you're my favorite, my best, my second favorite team, you know, and I want you guys to win the league. And I had that, we had that, I had that bus from so many people that made it made as a player, it made you feel good because it made you feel like, look, we're doing something that people like. And as a player, you know, as a football player, you're there to entertain. That's, that's part of your job. You want to entertain the people that come through the door. You know, my biggest regret was that we didn't give the, the, the Geordie fans what they, what they, they desperately wanted and desperately needed and desperately deserved. And that was the, the, the title. What was it like playing for the, for the Geordies, as you mentioned, they're an incredible bunch of fans and, for those two seasons, you finished running up in both seasons, you had Kevin Keegan and then, of course, Kenny Dalglish. Now, Sir yeah. Kenny Dalglish, what was it like playing there? And what, as I say, what are your highlights of those seasons? Because when you look at where they are now, the fans look back in that era, as I say, and think, what an era we got to watch. Yeah, I mean, for me, and like I'm talking now and the hairs are standing on, my, on the end, just, you know, reminiscing and thinking about, you know, I can't like, think about my, my very first goal, um, at St James's Park, and always remember Lee Clark and, and Steve Watson, who, who you know took me under their wings as well. I mean, they were they were a lot younger than me, but um, they showed me the the, the, the lights of um, Newcastle. Let's say let's say that they showed me the lights, um, the bright lights of Newcastle. Uh, looked after me very well, and I always remember like you know I used to have a laugh and a joke with them, and you know during pre-season we you know we played games away and and stuff like that. And both of them said to me, you know, I remember sitting in the changing room one day, and they, they said to me. You know, you think you've seen it all, he said, but wait till the first day of the season. You walk down this tunnel and you feel like you'll float out onto the pitch. And that was exactly the, the, the feeling. You know, I went there and, um, and you know, it's your first game. You want to impress. You want to play really well. And, and, and I didn't feel like I played that well in the game. I think it was, I was over anxious. I was over excited about playing and wanting to do well. Um, I, didn't, I didn't play particularly well in the game, but I remember scoring, scoring my goal, scoring my first goal. And the way the place erupted, um, I was like, it was incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I thought, wow, this is what it means to, to wear the number nine shirt and play here. This is what it means to these people. And, you know, I always remember playing at, uh, uh, going there with QPR uh, one year and, and, and as a team. We, we played very well and we beat them 2-1. And I remember after the game, going up the tunnel, going up in the change rooms and I walked through the door and I said to the boys, can you imagine playing in front of that week in, week out? Because I remember us beating them. And they were gracious. The supporters were gracious in, in defeat. They clapped Newcastle players off the pitch, but they clapped, they clapped QPR off the pitch as well because on the day we played really well. See, that's, that, that there sums up this, this sort of the way the fans are. And one of the key moments, I know you've spoken about uh, the number nine shirt and all that before, so I'll not go over that ground again. But mm. Alan Shearer arrives at the club. What was, what's it like for you when you are in a rich Vera form, scoring goals as you did in the previous season? Then to go and break the transfer record to sign another striker. Um, what it was for me was brilliant because I felt we were that close to 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 winning the the, the league the, the the year before. If we could add firepower and saying girls and you know at the time Alan was you know Alan's Alan and Alan's seen as the best striker in the, in the Premier League. You add that to your mix. Mix. I never. And someone asked me this question uh, a few days ago and said, "Did you think that you wouldn't play?" And I went. At no stage of Kevin Keegan signing Alan Shearer did I think I wasn't going to play. You know, you know, I'd come off the the back of scoring twenty nine goals. Okay, it wasn't enough for us to win the title, but at no stage did I have in my mind that I wasn't going to be playing for Newcastle anymore. And in terms of the, the spell at Newcastle, you clearly loved your time there. You've you said before that in many ways you wish you had stayed a wee bit longer, but the club yeah. obviously want to raise funds. And and for you, it was it was it was also I imagine hard to leave. But with the power of hindsight now, being inducted at the club's foundation hall of fame, do you still look back fondly in that spell and remember it incredibly well? Yeah, I mean. You know, people often say to me, like even my mates, they go, you know, I see, I see Geordie people now, and and they come up and say, Les, like, you know, and they remember, the, you know, as you said, the entertainers and stuff, and my time there, and, my, and you know, some of my mates have to hold back, and they go, he was only there for two years, and I went, yeah, I know, but it was, you know, it was a fantastic two years, and not just not in, in not in that I played fantastic for two years, in that the the where the where the club was, where the team was, where we were playing. Was a great. It was a great couple of years, and I think most people who support the team will never forget those those, those years. 
ultimately, when, when the time comes to leave Newcastle, Tottenham's interest, yourself being a, a boyhood Tottenham fan, was mm. it just too hard to turn down? And ultimately, was that the club you wanted to join? Do you know, it, it was, I just think it was the way everything was handled. Um, um, I kind of like, you know, one of the things I loved about playing for Kevin Keegan, um, and when everybody talks about, um, you know, did his guard slip when he when he had the rant, as you, as you mentioned, about having to go to Middlesbrough and stuff like that. You know, I just I just saw that as someone wearing their heart on their sleeves. And as players, that's what that's what supporters want. But as a manager, if you do that as a manager, it's seen as a sign of weakness, you know. Um, but that was Keegan. And, and that's what I loved about him. You know, he wore his heart on his sleeve and he told you what he thought and you knew he was left in no doubt what he, he, his thought process was. And I felt I was kind of like that as a player. Um, when I went out to play, I gave my best, you know, Sometimes my best weren't quite good enough. Do you know what I mean? And you know, I'd, I'd have bad, I'd have bad days on the football pitch. But there's not a time I, I feel like I, I walked off a football pitch not having given my best. And like I said on that day, whether that best was good enough or not, it was. It was never a fact to me not running around and, and, and giving it my best. So um, yeah, um, it, it, it was. It was. It was. A, it was a great time. In terms of Tottenham, as I say, a massively proud moment for you signing for the club. In your first season, you have a few niggly injuries. How frustrating is that, especially as a goal scorer, when you know that if you're fit, you can hit the ground running, but you're restricted for obvious reasons? Yeah, I say to people all the time, I say to all my mates, I say, look, I supported Tottenham as a boy. And, um, you know, I played for QBR, scored a lot of goals, played for Newcastle, scored a lot of goals um, for the time that I was there. And if there was a team that I, went, I wanted to go to and score that amount of goals as well, it was Tottenham. But I came off the back of having a hernia operation right at the end of uh, the season that I left Newcastle. And I probably hadn't healed properly, went to Tottenham, um, still recovering from um, from the hernia operation and kind of like redid it again. And then it just, it just kind of like bottled into trying to get back quick because you've gone to a new club and having spoken to Alan Sugar, I knew what the club wanted and I knew what he had, they'd expected from me. So I wanted to be out there and probably didn't give myself enough time to heal. So one injury uh, went into another, into another, into, and it just became a niggly, niggly time for me. One of the players you, you had a good, really good partnership with, of course, was, was Jurgen Klinsmann. What was he like to play with? Because he's another one who's an icon of football and at Tottenham was very good in the Premier League. Yeah, he was... He was a great player. Um, you know, I've been really fortunate to play with some outstanding centre forwards in my time. You know, and whenever people mention who's the best you play with, I always say Alan. But you know, Jurgen would be up there as, as you know, because he was he was fantastic, and he weren't just a fantastic footballer. He was he was a great fella as well. You know, and I really thoroughly enjoyed my time. Cared about the team. Um, had that selfish had that selfish streak as a centre forward because I, I remember we won a few games and he didn't manage to, to the games that he didn't manage to score and he'd be seething when we came and even though we'd won the game and I thought I loved that because that's just his competitive edge and the fact that he's a centre forward and he wanted to score so you know I could I could um, I could relate to that. And in terms of uh, one of the other players I want to ask you about, you played with at Newcastle and Spurs, um, David Ginola. What was he like? Is he as, as confident and as, as sort of cocky in his own ability as he seems? Because he was an incredible player to watch. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> now he was, um, I always say, um, people say, who's the best player you've, you've ever played with? And I say, domestically, David Ginola. I think at one stage, David had the European uh, Ballon d'Or at the tip of his his feet, or if not Ballon d'Or, he had a European Player of the Year, definitely because at at that time in the two in the in the two years I played with him at Newcastle, especially that first year, oh, he did some incredible things. Um, he was del a delight to play with, a delight to watch, um, and yeah, um, he was arguably one of the best players I played with. I mean, all, all in all, Gazza was the best player I've, I've ever seen and played with, but David, David Ginola, as a, a, in a domestic capacity, would be the best. Just staying on Gaza, as you mentioned him there, just how good was Gaza? Now, I know that might seem like a really strange question, but because he was undoubtedly a great player, but having played with him and been up close with him, just how good was he? I said, like, you know, as I just said there about David Ginola, you know, David was uh, domestically the, the best, but I always put Gaza as the best player I've played with because I think at one stage he could have done anything he wanted to do with a football. Um, and, you know, I, I just kind of like was in awe and amazed, amazement at his, his, his footballing abilities. And, um, you know, 
his work rate and everything else. You know, um, he had all the other stuff going on that we all know about, but um, his, his ability to play football uh, and, and be the best at what he did. Um, I think had he not had the, the problems that he had throughout his football in life, um, we'd be talking about him as one of the greats. In terms of Spurs uh, managers, Jerry Francis, you had, of course, um, Christian Gross, but the one in particular I really want to ask you about is George Graham. What was it like when he came in at Spurs? Because it was a massive shock to so many people in football. Yes, um, George. Um, I could, the, the, sort of like the best accolade I could pay, play, pay to George is when I think back through my career, he's one of the managers that I could have just played for all my career. George was hard. He was hard. He was a hard man. But he, he was left in no doubt what he wanted from you, what he expected from you, what he expected from the team. Um, his training was hard. Um, but everything about what he did, I loved. And I could relate to. And um, he was he was tough. But if you stood up to him, he was okay. He, he, he wasn't, he, you know, so I've, I've played with some managers that if if they say something and you have, you have a go back, they um they can't like get a bit babyish. He was never like that. He was like, you know, I mean, straight down the line. If you had an opinion, he was willing to listen to your opinion to take it on board. But it was it was still George's way. And obviously, one of the key players under George, and when you were at Spurs, um, known for going the other way, such like George did with the rivalry in North London, is Saul Campbell. He captained the squad in the the League Cup success over Leicester. Just how good was Saul in his period at Tottenham? Because in a strange way, I think his time at Tottenham's often overlooked because people associate him with Arsenal and the Invincibles. Yeah, I think Saul came through the ranks and um, at, at Tottenham, and, and, I, and obviously that's why it's a bitter pill for, for Tottenham supporters to, to swallow the, 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 the manner in which he left um, he left the club. But I think Saul at one stage was probably, if not the best defender in, in the world, he was probably the best centre-half in Europe at one stage. Um, you know, and he, he he played midfield. I mean, he went into the club as a centre forward. Um, I couldn't see that, but <laughs> but he said he was a centre forward. But certainly in terms of he's a, he's a, he had you know he had strength, he had pace, he had power. Um, he was decent on the ball, um, and he and he could lead. He wasn't he wasn't a shouter, and I, and that came on that came later in his career in terms of around the dressing room, and he, he kind of like just led by example. In terms of the final itself, it's it's memorable. Obviously, Tottenham win the final. Um, mm. You get your, your winner's medal and you lift the, the trophy. But the late Justin Edinburgh, bless him, he's sent off in the final. At, yeah. at that moment when, when Justin sent off, as a player on the pitch, how do you feel at that time? Because a sending off can affect any game, but especially in a cup final, it must have been it must have been a nerve-wracking experience. Yeah, it was like, I think we, you know, the game wasn't the best spectacle in the world, to be honest with you. Um, and at, at, the, at the time of Justin going going off, we didn't probably didn't feel like it was going to make too much change to the way that we were playing and what we were doing. We were quite methodical, like I said. George did us. Um, he had us all tune into to, to what was needed to be done, and 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 so obviously, of course, you don't want to see anyone lose lose the pitch, especially in a, in a cup final. But it kind of like didn't alter our, our our mindset. We had to carry on doing what we was doing, you know, it's a one-off game. So you find that extra 10, 20% that you might need to, to, to cover for someone like Justin being sent off. And in terms of the, the, the end of the game, it's dramatic fashion, a very late goal. Um, mm -hmm. Just just sum up what it was like when, when Nielsen gets the winner. I mean, it was, like I said, it, was, it wasn't it was a spectacular game. It wasn't a spectacle for all the people that came and watching in a way that you'd love a cup final to be. But seeing that goal go in, so late in the game, knowing that there's hardly any time for Leicester to come back at us, um, meant you was going to walk up those steps. And as a as a player, uh, sorry, as a as a young man, the one thing you always dream about is walking up the steps of Wembley and picking up a trophy. Yeah, you always dream it to be the the, the FA Cup, but unfortunately, it weren't the FA Cup. It was the League Cup, and that was just as good for me. Just as good as the same. Any most people listening to this would dream of winning a major honour. So absolutely. Um, in terms of winning the League Cup, a proud moment for yourself. You then managed to, to find more fitness and enable and contribute more goals at Tottenham. You scored the 10,000th goal in Premier League history. Mm -hmm. See, when you score a, a goal like that, which is, is a real piece of history, do you get a, an award or a champagne or a trophy for that? Yeah, I think obviously there was a load, there was a lot being made about um, the 10,000th goal being scored in, in the Premier League and, you know, scoring it 
and I always remember saying someone said that you, you know you played in the first weekend of the, the, the Premier League starting and to be here now scoring a 10,000th goal and you know at the time I hadn't hadn't had a particular good time at Tottenham and so when people were talking about who would be the person to score the 10,000th goal lots of different names were mentioned because they were people that was on form and, and the fact I'd, I'd, I'd actually gone into the Fulham game I think off the back of a hat-trick during the week so I was, I was, you know, I was in that vein of, you know, scoring a few goals, but my time hadn't been as fruitful as I wanted it to be at Spurs. And I suppose um, going into the game, when I did score, I thought to myself, this could be early enough for it to be the 10,000th goal. And the announcer said, like, you know, this, you know, at the time he said, this could be early enough to be the 10,000th goal. And then it came back a little while later. That's the 10,000th goal in, in Premier League history. So um, after the game, yeah, there was a few bottles of champagne and, I don't think there was any award. I think there was a, a check that I gave to charity. But, um, yeah, um, there was a bottle of champagne somewhere. Brilliant. Um, I want another player I need to ask you about who who you played alongside, a player that I just absolutely loved watching. You watch Premier League years now, and a spectacular player, Teddy Sheringham, returns to Tottenham. What was yeah. it like playing with Teddy? Because I always, always listeners to the show know, I'm just fascinated how, he'll admit himself, I'm sure, he was never the quickest player, but he always had space. Yeah, you know, and uh, what Ted, what Teddy did was adapted his his uh, the la- his lack of pace to being in the right place at the right time. And you know, he's you know when I went into coaching, um, you know when I went into the coaching side of things at Tottenham, and and then you know I go on I went on to QPR. Well, I'm at QPR now, but you know when I talk to players about a number ten, I go go and have a look at how many goals Teddy Sheringham scored, and go and have a look at how many goals as a number ten. He scored in the 18-yard box, in the six-yard box, headers running into the box late. I said, just because you're a number 10 doesn't mean you're someone that just provides goals for other people. And I always use Teddy as an example. And as you said, he, he just he just slipped into those areas and timed his runs into the box exceptionally, probably better than anybody else and, um, and made that number 10 role his. Another League Cup final at Tottenham follows in 2002 against Blackburn. Ultimately, yeah. you're on the losing side this time, and I imagine you still cursed Brad Friedel for for saving three important chances of yours in the game. Yeah, he did. Well, you know, it was. Um, I remember coming away from it, and, and people sometimes still remind me of it. How didn't you score in that game? And as you, you're right, Brad had a. You know, he had the better of me on that on on the day. And um, unfortunately, I mean, we hit the crossbar. We did everything but put the ball in the back of the net. So, well, we did put it in there once, but they, they managed to win too well. The reason I had to mention it is I spoke to Brad recently and, and, and he went on and on about it and how happy he was. So <laughs> I had to ask it. Um, yeah. In terms of Tottenham, White Hart Lane, obviously, they've got the most incredible new stadium, but you played at the proper White Hart Lane. What was that stadium like? Um, well, um, the, the tradition... And everything else that goes with it that was behind it you know i speak to i used to speak to a lot of players that you know became friends after the game and after you know me retiring you talk about stadiums that you used to go to and used to like and a load of players used to love the playing that old the old white heart lane um it had some nostalgia it had just had that it had that real football feel about it. And, you know, it sounds, of course it should because it's a football stadium, but it had that kind of like old, as, as well as it being modern, it still had that old, real traditional football feel about it. And it was one of the, 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 the places I enjoyed playing football most. A trophy, a major trophy at Tottenham in the League Cup. You scored goals there, as you say, boyhood club growing up. Ultimately, um, Glenn Hoddle obviously brings in Robbie Keane and then that coincides with you moving on to, to West Ham. What was West Ham like as a club? Because you had some top players there, Decanio, Cole, Carrick, Defoe and so many others. I've not even mentioned Don Hutchison, another one that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I got there, I mean, uh, I'd spoken to Glenn Roder and I wasn't playing as, at Tottenham as much as I wanted to and I still felt I had something to offer. Um, and I didn't want my time at Tottenham to just dwindle out. And I, I said to Glenn, look, I understand you brought Robbie and you see Robbie and Teddy is the, the preferred partnership. It's time for me to move on. Um, he was reluctant at the time, um, but I kind of like made my mind up that it was time for me to, to, to move on because, like I said, I still felt I had a bit to offer football. And, and so I went to uh, I went to West Ham and i got to be honest, I knew there was a, a, a rivalry between West Ham and Tottenham, but I didn't realise it was a bad as it was until I actually went to West Ham. And um, I remember going there and people saying to me, like, you know, Tottenham fans who I'd known said, look, 
I hope you you manage to 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 um to do well, but I, I still hope West Ham get relegated because they were sitting bottom of the table at the time. You know, I, mean? I was like, thanks very much. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a strange time because I walked through the dressing room and you know you mentioned some of the players there like Defoe, De Canio, Canute, Don Hutchinson, um, Moncur, uh, Carrick, Cole, uh, Sinclair, and in Andrew Impey, Glenn Johnson, and you know, I was, I was, I was kind of, I got to, the, I got to the football club and tra- training. David James was there in goal, and I was like, "How's this team where it is at the moment?" I just couldn't get it. And then we trained, and the first day we trained, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, "Wow, this is incredible! Look at these players, how they, how they, where they are." And then we played, I'll never forget my first game was against Charlton. So I, I, I went on a Monday and I think the Tuesday or the Wednesday we were playing Charlton. And um, we got into the game and started playing. And then I started to realise, I said, now I know where, why the team is where there was no no confidence. You know, uh, Scott Minto was there as well. I'm, I'm just kind of recalling the, the, the names. And... Um, in the game itself, there was just no confidence in the players because the, the fans were giving us a bit of stick and and no one wanted to be the person that lost the ball. And so I said, listen, chaps, we're going to, you know, we're going to have to win in half time. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, now I see why the team is where it is. Now, Glenn, Glenn Rowe allowed me to speak. Um, I mean, Lee Bayer came there as well. I'm just, I'm just kind of, as I'm speaking, all the names are starting to, to I'm starting to recall. And I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the captain's name, Steve, 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 Steve. Lomas. Yeah, Lomas, Stevie Lomas, and you know all these players, and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, you know how we, how we where we are. Anyway, um, we were, and unfortunately, we were, we kind of like went down that year with the the uh, record amount of points. I think we had 42 points, and I think that was the, the most any team's gone down who's been relegated from the Premier League with. So it was, um, it, it was pretty surreal when I saw all these players and the position the club was in. A difficult time, as you mentioned, and just on old stadiums, Upton Park, what was it like there? Because it's a stadium that any West Ham fan still wishes they were at now. Yes, oh, for sure. It was, again, it was one of those, you know, <laughs> I played many a game at uh, West Ham at Upton Park and like, you know, they used to have a thing called a chicken run. And as a black player, you didn't want to go down that chicken run, that's for sure. Like, you know, I mean, the, the, the abuse that got held at you. But um, it, again, it was one of those old nostalgic stadiums. And, you know, Clyde Best uh, is someone who, um, you know, I look up to. And, and he was the, the, the first black player to, to, to play at West Ham. And the, one of the ones that I recognise in the, the early 70s as, as being a black player playing football. So, um, yeah, it was, there was some, a, a, lot, a lot of nostalgia about playing at Upton Park. From uh, West Ham, you go to Leicester with Mickey Adams, who seems a, a character. The club mm-hmm. goes down that season, but you are, are one, of, one of the top scorers for the club. How good was it for you when you went there to, to know that, although you were getting that wee bit older, you still had that finishing knack at the top level? Yeah, I mean, I went there and I was, you know, uh, uh, you know, Mickey persuaded me to, to, to go there, the opportunity to go there or Southampton. And um, I felt a lot, I opted for, for, I like what Mickey had to say. And, um, I said, all right, I'm going to go there. And I went there. Unfortunately, as you said, we got relegated. And, you know, I won player of the year, top goal scorer, players, player of the year, everything. And I was like, well, I'm 37, nearly 38 here. And I'm still scoring goals in the Premier League. But again, it wasn't quite enough to keep us in the, in, in the division. Um, but I had a great time. Um, apart from us going down, I just, it, you know, I was able to score goals and, and show myself that I, could, I was still basically able to score goals in the Premier League. Still scoring goals in the Premier League, um, as you say, Leicester. Following Leicester, you had a spell with Big Sam at Bolton. What's it like working with Big Sam? <laughs> um, I've got a lot of time for Big Sam in terms of that, you know, I was an older player um, and Big Sam was... I, when I went to Bolton, I, said, I, I say to people now that it, it was probably the team that was most advanced in the way their approach to the game. Um, in, in terms of sports science and, you know, Sam was able to reel off all these stats and figures and if you have the ball this many times and you're likely to score this many goals and so on and so forth. And, and I always remember I said to him, Sam, I'm done, mate. I'm, 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 I'm ready to retire. And he went, you can't. And I went, I can. He went, you can't. And he, he, he put this bit of paper down on the table and he had all my, my stats and, and, and figures of what I'd done at Leicester and he said, you've still got too much to offer football to retire. 
And he said to me, um, he said, you scored more goals than Kevin Davis last season, but Kevin Davis has had his best season for us in terms of goals. So I want you to come and give him competition. Uh, he said, you'll play, you'll play games, um, but Kevin's going to start. Um, so I was like, you know, I was 38. Um, going, I was going to be 39 in my, in my next birthday, um, which was December, and the season was kicking off in, in, in August. So um, in the end, he persuaded me to, to go for a, for, for a season. And I, and I went there and, you know, I had to sit on the bench and I was coming off the bench in the first few games and like I was going, OK, at some stage I'm going to get, get a chance. Played in the League Cup, scored in the League Cup. And um, and then the club went for a bit of a, a tricky spell around the November time where they were struggling to win games. And at the beginning, they were winning games and they were up there. You know, I think that was the year they finished in Europe. Um, so they were winning games and they were doing really well. And, I, you know, I couldn't really complain because the team was winning. And then when they went through the spell in November where they wasn't winning that many games, um, I went to Big Sam and I said, listen, mate, you're not winning many games at the moment. I think it's time for me to play. And he was like, yeah, he started thinking of having an iron. And I said, look, the truth is, Sam, if this is my last my last game in, in my last year in football, I want to play. And he said to me, what are you talking about? He said, you're 38 years of age. You've, you seem to be 39. He said, you know, you're coming off the bench. You know, what more do you want? You're earning good money. What more do you want? I said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I want to play football. This is going to be my last year. I don't want to sit on someone's bench and just earn money. I want to play and I want to contribute. And if I can't do that, I'm willing for you to say, yeah, let's rip this contract up and, and I'll go. So, you know, many went... Well, the truth is I've had a few clubs that have come in and want to take you on loan. And I said, well, you know, I'd like to do that. And he said, look, have a think about it because I'd like to keep you to the end of the season and you will play more games in the second half of the season. And I said, OK, look, I had a foot think about it and I went back to see him again and he said, look, there's a few clubs that do want us. And I said, look, I think it's better if I go now. And that was it. And that was it. But like, um, yeah, I had a lot of respect in the way that he treated me, the way that he allowed me, the way that I trained and they were so focused on getting the best out of me. Like I didn't train every day. Um, some days I'd go with a sports science scientist and do what I needed to do, or I'd stay in, in London and I'd, I'd do my work on a bike or run on a treadmill. And or they had the GPS, so they they knew everything that I was doing. So they were so so far advanced than any other club I'd been at. And in terms of that time, when when it comes to leaving Bolton, you wanted games, even though because as you say, it was going to be the last season of your career. Was Reading the, the place to go because it was it was closer to home as such? Yeah, when I when I looked at when I looked at uh, uh, not just the the fact that it was close to home, it was a, it was a, it was the fact that they were trying to have a go at getting promoted. You know, they were in a good place. Um, they had a, a, a good team, and you know, myself and Martin Keone wanted a bit of experience to come through the door and try and help. And you know, we was like. I thought, yeah, this is, you know, this would be a great way to go out if we could get, you know, get ready and promoted. It'd be a great way to to, to, to finish my career. Um, we went there and it, it kind of went, didn't work out in the way that I wanted to, to. I think at the age of 38, well, I was now 39, going to uh, somewhere like Reading and not playing enough games in that season meant that when I actually went and got into the team, little niggly things started to happen. Like I pulled my hamstring and I pulled my calf and stuff like that. And you start to, I started to realise maybe my body's telling me this is it. You know, I can't, I can't go any further. So um, um, I had to make a de decision come the end of that, that year. What's it like when, when retirement comes? Because when we talk about your career at club level, we'll come to international uh, in, in a wee minute, you win the Turkish Cup, you win the League Cup, PFA Player of the Year, You've been in the team of the year of the Premier League, the 10,000th goal, player of the year at Leicester, Hall of Fame, obviously, as we know now at Newcastle. How do you reflect back in your club career? Um, I'd like to think I gave my best. And like I said, um, probably didn't win as much as I would have liked to have won. Um, but that's just, that's, that's how it is. I always view life on what's meant to be will be. Um, I, I had a fantastic time um, as a player and I, and I think I did okay. Um, I think there's clubs that, when they look back on my spell at their clubs, will always say that I gave of my best and I did. A, I had a good stint at wherever I was. And so when I look back, I just like to think that most most clubs, if not all clubs that I went to, I mean, barring Reading, where I probably picked up a few niggly injuries that weren't didn't allow me to, to, to play as much as I wanted to, would say, yeah, I, you know, when they when I did play, I, I, they know that I gave them my best. 
just before you go, Les, international career, 17 times you played for England, five goals, two major tournaments, Euro 96, the World Cup in 98. Just, just how proud are you to have represented England and, crucially, scored for your country and made an impact? I mean, that that would probably be the, the, the most disappointing part of my career, really, um, at international level, um, because... I always felt whenever I went to play for England, I wasn't given the opportunity um, that perhaps my football deserved at the time. Um, I always felt that I was up against it, you know, whether that came from the media, the press, or even the manager. You know, in in '96, I didn't play a minute uh, of any game at Euro '96. I come off the back of scoring 29 goals. Okay, we didn't win the league, but I was PFA Player of the Year, so I was on a high, you know, and I was feeling good and I was feeling ready. Um, and then not to, to go to the European Championships and not play a single minute, I don't think that happens in any other country in the, in, in the, in the world um, where players at the year that I've had in terms of goal scoring and, like I said, winning, being play, you know, voted best player by by your by your peers, and then not playing a minute for for, for their country, um, I don't think it happens anywhere else. So there's there's a, there's a tinge of disappointment about my um, my international career as much as it should be a proud moment um for me i always it always leaves a bit of taste in my mouth when i talk about my international career a, a great career at club level um you mentioned your disappointment there with internationals but still as we say 17 caps score five goals which again so many english players would, would, would love to swap you the last thing i want to say before you go les um it's very easy for me um, to say this. Obviously, I'm, I'm a white male, I'm 24, but I think you're very inspiring as a guy and what you're doing now in the game. You're the director of football at QPR. It's a very high-profile role. Um, you, you're, you are a, a director of football that's well-respected in the game, but crucially, you're also representing the black and ethnic uh, minority community. In terms of that representation, how proud are you that you've watched your way into that position on merit? And how much do you hope that that can be the case for so many aspiring black and ethnic minority coaches, directors of football, um, sports scientists, whatever it may be, because we really need to, to up the, the, the ratio, as it's been said so many times, it has to happen. It's time for words to stop and it's time for actions to happen. Yeah, and, and that's where I am right now uh, with it. Um, you know, I, I said to someone the other day, uh, it's almost like as, as, as a... As a as a former footballer, I'm allowed to like the game because I've played it, but I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to love it and stay in it. You know, I see so many of my 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 former colleagues, my former my former teammates get get opportunities to go back in to, to coaching, to management, to all aspects of football, punditry, um, presenting. Yet, black players have done equally as well as these guys. Don't get that opportunity. And as you said, um, I don't want to wear another badge. I don't want to wear another T-shirt. I, I, I just want action now. And there's lots of talks, lots of directives. I mean, even this voluntary code, it's voluntary. Um, there's nothing mandatory about it. And let's see where we are in a year's time. You know, we speak, you know, someone spoke about me, uh, you know, my statement about my team not taking the knee. Um uh, you know, I want everybody to know I didn't. It, it wasn't a club directive. We, I put this out there to the players, and I said, "Look, it's your it's your platform. If you want to take the knee, this this football club and myself will 100% support you. If you decide not to take the knee, we'll still 100% uh, 100% support you. It's I don't want people taking the knee just to take a knee because they think it's the right thing to do. And at the start of the the the, the EFL campaign. 16 teams didn't take the knee on the opening day of the, the season. The following week, QPR get, got um, maligned for not taking the knee along with Coventry, but QPR got the maligning and not Coventry. I work for the most diverse football club in this country. And to, 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 to come at us, I thought was extremely wrong because we, we are doing what everybody else isn't doing. And it's not because I'm, I'm a black director of football, because there's a lot of black uh, personnel that work at the football club that were there before I was at the football club. Um, what we do, we just do, the, we go through the right process. We look at people's CVs. We don't look at names, we look at CVs. And if the CV matches the job role that we're looking for, then we call the three or four people in for an interview and the best person gets the job. So 
when people were having a go at us for, 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 for not taking the knee, if 16 teams didn't take the knee at the first in the first week and they're all taking the knee now, I'm asking why. Why did you not take it in the first week? Is it now because you don't want to be chastised by Sky or anybody else that you're taking the knee? So that tells me you're taking the, re the knee for the wrong reasons. And the amount of people, the amount of managers, the amount of coaches that have called me and said to me that the, the article I did is, is fantastic and they agree with it, but their teams are still taking the knee. It's, 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 it's interesting in that regard because something else that that I, I, it's been as I work in education, Les. So Black History Month's been a big part of what we've been delivering um, in, in, in the month. But at the same time, and, and you'll be able to understand this better than me. It's all well and good at being a month. It's all well and good mm -hmm. at being a week. It's all well and good being a day. It has to be integrated properly, consistently through each year, every year, so that it becomes second nature to people. Because sometimes. <sighs> It's like mental health awareness as well. A day and a week is good, but at the same time, I think you need to integrate it fully and properly so that it becomes second nature. I say to people, I'm not, I haven't been black for a month. I've been black all my life. Mental health isn't over a week or, or two weeks or a day. It's something that affects people all their lives. So I purposely haven't done any interviews over this, this Black History Month because why don't you come and interview me in November? In December and January. Don't just leave it till October and say, let's get all these these interviews on the TV because we, we have to show that it's Black History Month. I want it to be Black History, black history every single day because that's what I live. Absolutely. And I think that's the most powerful way for us to finish, Les. Um, I just want to echo what I said at the start. To get to interview someone like yourself who had a great career in the game and is now doing great work on the, the, the business side of the game with Director of Football, I just want to thank you again for your time and, and thanks for coming on the show. No, pleasure, pleasure to be on the show. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open I'll be filled with song, I'll be